Hello and welcome to Sports Miles Football Shorts. I'm Barney Corkill. I'm here with our football editor, Matt Law. And we've got a very special guest on the show this time. We've got former Manchester United midfielder and a Premier League title winner in Luke Chadwick. Great to have you on, Luke. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. I think we'll get straight into it. We'll talk about United and everything a bit later because we've got plenty to talk about there. But we'll start with the project you're involved in now at the moment. So it's called Football Fun Factory. Why don't you give us a quick rundown of, of what you do? Yeah, so it's called the Football Fun Factory. As the name suggests, it's around making football fun. So it's programmes for children from 2 to 12 years old. And it is around sort of developing a love for football. It's not a development programme. We've not got links with professional football clubs. It is purely around children of all boys and girls of all ages and abilities to come and enjoy playing football and using football as a, as a vehicle to develop positive life skills like teamwork, communication, sportsmanship, where in our sessions we celebrate that probably more than someone scoring 25 goals in a session or showing great skills. Obviously, football's part of it because we're playing football. We're using the nation's love of football as a real positive vehicle to drive these incredible things. But the be-all and end-all, as I mentioned, is football becoming fun. So when you're a mm. An old sod like me and you're 40-odd years old, you still <laughs> love stumbling around playing football. So it's, it's an incredibly rewarding organisation to be involved with and something that I'm really thoroughly enjoying at the moment. Well, so you said, it's, it's been, sorry, go on, Matt. So I was going to say, no, it says it in the name, Luke, you know, the fun factory. How important do you think that is, you know, in a world where, you know, not just football, I'd say, you know, all walks of life, there's this... There's a lot of pressure, isn't there, on... Obviously, you'll know better than anyone about pressure on young players. But to have that enjoyment at that age of making it, you know, make it an enjoyable thing, not making it so pressurised, and that's got to help in the long run, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. I think particularly in them formative years when you're just getting involved with a game, it, is, it has to be fun, otherwise you're, you're not going to carry on doing it. I think when I look back over my life, obviously, I've had great moments being a professional footballer, but things that always spring to my mind is when I was a eight, nine, ten-year-old kid running around on the pitch with my mates. I don't remember the coach giving me any incredible incredible tactical information that made me a better footballer, but he made it fun, which in the end gave me the opportunity to not be a footballer, but, but still love football as much as I do at, at the age I am now. And how long have you been involved in this? And how, how many uh, schools or classes are there around the country at the moment? So I've been involved just over a year now. So I used to work when I finished playing, I started working in the academy at a professional football club and obviously was privileged to work with fantastic people and fantastic players. But for me, the game just gets professionalised a little bit too early and you maybe lose sight of, of what the game's all about. It becomes about just becoming a professional footballer and not really enjoying that journey mm. that you're on as a, as a young person and really making the most of that situation. So that's the, probably the reason I jumped on board with two former colleagues of mine who were the co-founders. In terms of we're growing really quickly, it's a franchise organisation. So we're, we're up to, I think we've got, well, we have, we've got 14 now and in, in talks with people all over the country about coming on board as head coaches. And our sort of huge ambition is to be the, the biggest football coaching organisation in the world eventually, which obviously... We're humble enough to know we're nowhere near that at the moment, but that, that is what we, we want to do. That's what our ambition to do. And more importantly, have millions of kids running around all over the world, enjoying football, wearing our 
we've got quite a distinctive blue and yellow kit that the children mm-hmm. wear and it, it, everything about it is really positive and really fun so that's that's where we're at at the moment and that's what we we hope to do sometime in the future that's uh, fantastic i think isn't it like you say in, the, in this especially in this current climate in the world you know everyone's a bit unsure and everything isn't there and to have that enjoyment is obviously uh, a great thing to have but uh, if we could if we could go on to, to to united if that's okay luke obviously it was a good win good win last night uh, in the cup but obviously there's still you know transfer issues i mean for, what's your opinion on the situation obviously gary neville came out didn't he yesterday on twitter and was very very critical of of you know those in charge matt judge you know ed woodward you know the, the board in terms of getting deals done for you if, what is the priority in the transfer market? Is it Sancho? Is it a left back? Is it a centre back? What if you were in charge of that? What would you be looking to do there? Well, I think for for the club to really compete, it probably needs more than than one signing. I think it, it's going to take two, three, four players for the club really to compete. I think Jaden Sancho is would be a huge signing. It, it might be they've got gifted players in that position already, but Jaden Sancho is a a talent that doesn't come along very often. An, an English player plays in wide areas, looks like a, a Manchester United players from years gone by where you think about George Best, Ryan Giggs, Cristiano Ronaldo. That, it, you'd put him, not at the moment, but in the future, yeah. potentially of a, of a similar ilk to them players who's going to really appease the fans that are obviously getting hugely frustrated at this moment in time with the, the lack of activity. I mean, I don't know enough about the top end and the running a club to know why things aren't going to plan, but they're certainly not at the moment. I think the defensive issues are a problem. You watch Liverpool play and you watch the way they press so high. I don't think United can do that and be successful like that because I'm not sure if the players completely trust the the, the back four, as it were, the the defensive players, because obviously Liverpool, Mane, Salah go and press as high as they can. They look behind them and they see... Virgil van Dijk stood there, which obviously gives them huge confidence. I don't think Manchester United are in that position at the moment. Saying that, there isn't many centre-halves like Virgil van Dijk out there for them to go and get. But I think it it needs reinforcements in the back four area. I think the left-back's been spoken about a lot from the Portuguese boy, who obviously looks a, a fantastic player. I think Luke Shaw's a great player, but... It's whether he stays fit for the whole season. He's obviously had his issues there. So I think a couple of players in the defensive line are a must. And Sancho, if the club want to compete for the top two spaces, mm. if they're happy to just go for the Champions League again and sneak in the top four, then they could well have enough in the building at the moment. But I don't think that's going to appease the fans and it's not going to appease a football club like Manchester United that needs to be compete to compete in to win them top top trophies yeah myself and matt were talking about this yesterday actually mm. i personally think they've they've got this their priorities wrong in this window because as you say sancho is probably looks like a once in a generation talent i think it was 20 goals and 20 assists at 20 years old he got last season which is ridiculous isn't it but for for them i think as you mentioned they need to build from the back because liverpool have the confidence in their defenders to leave them you know one-on-one against alexander lacazette against arsenal which you need to have complete confidence in your defenders there. So for me, I think they should be building from the back and bringing in a top centre-back. But then we also mentioned how how many top centre-backs are there around at the moment. So it's difficult. But do you think they've got the priorities right in this this window? Um, It's it's hard to say. I don't think we can really judge it until the the window is over in terms Mm. of it does seem to be from the outside looking in that maybe all the eggs have been 
putting the Jaden Sancho basket and that's going to keep people happy for a certain period of time. But I think it's been glaringly obvious since the start of the season that there needs to be another central defender to come in and really offer competition, really be someone that plays every game really with the, the back four that's playing at the moment. It, it does seem to be a little bit reactive in terms of there doesn't seem to be a huge recruitment plan there of what happens. It seems to be someone might become available and United go and try and get them. Obviously, Van der Beek's a, a hugely talented football player, but you wonder where he's going to play because I assume Bruno's going to play every game. I assume Pogba's going to play every game. And to play, we talk about the issues in the back four. If it's a Van der Beek, Bruno, Pogba mm-hmm. in front of them, it doesn't ho- offer a, a huge amount of protection to the back four. So you look at the likes of Matic or McTominay or surely have to play at the moment to, to protect and play in that defensive role to protect the back four to a certain extent. We were speaking about this yesterday, weren't we, Barney, about we were actually racking our brains. I don't know what your opinion on it, is it, Luke, but who do you think the, be- the second best centre-back in the Premier League is? Because obviously if we, we understand that it's Van Dijk is the best, I was thinking maybe a fit Laporte at City, you know, if he's fit and firing. Apart from that, and Barney spoke about world football, there, is, there seems to be a real lack of you know, outstanding centre-backs. Obviously, Koulibaly has been mentioned at Napoli. There's a few others. Obviously, City have just bought Diaz, haven't they, from, from Benfica, who's obviously a talent. But there does seem to be, obviously, from your playing days, and then you think about the Rio Ferdinand, Vijic, Terry, Carvalho at Chelsea, you know, players like that. There seems to be a lack at the moment, doesn't there, of real top-draw centre-backs? Yeah, definitely. I think you mentioned Laporte Aiden, there, who's, who looks, a, well, he is a fantastic player and probably is the one that you'd say is close to Van Dijk. I think um, in terms of the way coaching's gone, coaching education, it is you don't see as many fantastic centre-backs come mm. from. I remember back when I was coming through, we was spoilt for choice, really, with the, the amount of centre-backs that were coming through of a similar age to me, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, mm. John Terry, Jamie Carragher, all these wonderful defenders. that we don't The players that we seem to come through the academies, the top academies into the Young England teams are hugely gifted, creative players, the likes of Hudson, Adoy, Sancho. That, sorts of, that seems to be the player that we're creating at the moment. When it comes to, to world football, I, I was of the opinion that the Lit should have been mm. someone that Manchester United broke the bank to get, really, because he obviously had not done incredibly well at Juventus, but I'm sure he's going to be a mm. top, top, top player. And he was available at the time when Ajax obviously done it, had a great season. and He would have been a United sort of signing that still had work to do, but they could have turned him into that world, world-class centre-back. But I completely agree. It does seem to be a shortage of centre-backs in this day and age and what we've, particularly in the UK, where we, we were treated to the incredible defenders at the time. I forgot even the likes of Wes Brown, Ledley King, yeah. who were top, top defenders mm-hmm. and they were all sort of coming through at the same sort of time. Do you think, as someone who's sort of involved in coaching youngsters now as well, is that maybe to do with the shift in football philosophy, maybe even towards, you know, Guardiola and Klopp's passing style, where they like to play out from the back. And, you know, players are much more valuable now if they're, they're good on the ball rather than actually good at old-fashioned defending. Yeah, I think that is part of it. Obviously, the way the game's changed over the, over the years. I think, obviously, with kids coming through, you don't often see children that want to be a defender. Mm. So they don't spend the time there. It's sort of a a dying art, as it were, the way that people of the past have defended them central areas. And I do think it is something that 
is lacking at the moment. I don't know how to get get around that, but it's certainly I've never known a shortage of top top centre halves throughout European football than than we've got at the moment. Mm. Sorry, I was going to just speak about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer quickly. Obviously, he's someone that you obviously played with uh, at United. You know that United tried. You know they tried Van Gaal, didn't they? They tried Mourinho. You know, two you know outstanding you know European pedigrees, and obviously Mourinho the Premier League as well. But obviously, it's it's always going to be a very very tough job, isn't it, for someone that manager experience is you know quite limited. Obviously, at Cardiff and Mulder as well. But how do you think he's doing? And do you think he will be given the time, like long term, to to mould a team here? Obviously, it all depends on results. I think he should be. I think Manchester United, and this is probably me being a bit, obviously I've been there, is different to other football clubs in terms of the history of the club, the incredible managers that have come through and the longevity that they've had at the football club. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson, Matt Busby, etc. It's different in terms of Van Gaal came in. I think David Moyes came in and it was almost an impossible job, but they saw him as someone who could stay at the club long-term in a similar route to, to Sir Alex Ferguson. Obviously, that didn't work out. And then Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, obviously two incredible managers, but it never really sat right with the way Manchester United do things because they are brought in as a, not as a quick fix, but they don't stay at the They were never going to stay at the club for 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I think the way that they've gone with Oli is someone that can, that would want to do that and is someone who's, been brought up in the history of the football club. He's obviously learned huge lessons from Sir Alex Ferguson about the environment, the culture of the club and building for the future. It's a results-driven industry. I'd like to see him given time because I think that's what it's going to take because if Ollie comes, someone will come in. What what difference does it make Mm. immediately if someone comes in? Obviously, there's a lot of talk about Pochettino. When Ollie was first brought in, on a caretaker basis, I assume that was because yeah, did, yeah. the deal was done with Pochettino and he was coming in in the summer. But obviously, Oli done incredibly well. I think he needs to be given time. But the nature of the beast is, if he doesn't get results, he won't. And then we're we're back to square one, and someone else comes in, and the club try and go in a different direction. Did you see signs when playing with him that he would become a manager? I think it was always said because he was so good coming off the bench. He was good at analysing the game and seeing where the you know, strengths and weaknesses lie. Did you see the manager in him when you were playing with him? Um, probably not in terms of it was a different, a different game back then. If I think back to the, mm. to the change room that I was in for a short amount of time, you'd look at the likes of Gary Neville and Roy Keane who were really vocal and that was sort of, a manager's job then where it was it was more around driving a group of people. I think the game's changed now a lot and it's around the relationships, probably more with individual players. Well, I think Ollie has got really good soft skills to, to be able to deliver that. You see the likes of Pogba and Martial probably playing, particularly last towards the end of last season, getting more out of them than any other manager probably did at the club. So I think he's got that ability obviously to be strong at times as well and to lead the group but I think he's he always had an amazing work ethic at the club like in terms of training in the gym whatever he was doing he wanted to make himself better and maybe that obsessive side of it that a, that a manager needs so I'll, I'll look back now and see some of the strengths he had as a person which will obviously stand him in really good stead as a manager at such a, a huge football club. Just a final one on United from me, Luke. Obviously, the 
the fact that you came through and played at that level, obviously we know the stats of players that are in the game and out the game by 23. You know, you played, I think it was 39 times for United, wasn't it? I mean, I watched the goal yesterday. I think it's the one where Beckham put you through and um, you were in the white shirt, you know, and you scored. Um, I think you posted it on your Twitter. Um, but, yeah, but probably. Your, your, your memories of that, I mean, it's an in, a thing that people could only dream of, you know, pulling on that shirt one time. I mean, the players you played with... Um, I've seen a lot about, you know, people saying Skulls was the best player, you know, in training and times like that. If we, if we take Skulls out of it, who else was, you know, the best player I think you played with? It's, yeah, that is like Skulls was obviously the one that I always say was seen a little bit above the others who were obviously great. Other than that, like the whole, it was, um, the standard was frightening in training every day in the games. I was obviously a wide player, so spent a lot of time with Ryan Giggs and David Beckham. So they were probably the ones that had, stand out for me as a, as the other best player. Obviously like Roy Keane, Nicky Butt, Teddy Sheridan, like that the list is endless really. I'd probably say Giggs and Beckham after Skulls, probably mainly because I was watching them maybe a little bit closer because I played in a similar position to them. Can I put you on the spot a bit and ask for a best five aside of the team you played with? <laughs> yeah, I've been asked that a lot, so I've got it. I've oh, always yeah. got it. Oh, nice. so um, Bartes in goal, he was just he was amazing as a football player as well. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be good coming out with a ball. <laughs> and I'd have um, Yapstam as a mm-hmm. set defender, Keenan Skulls as the midfielders, and Teddy Sheringham up top. Sheringham, interesting. Oh, to be yes. fair, I've absolutely just contradicted myself because I've not put Beckham or Giggs in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five-a-side's diff- five yeah. different, isn't it? We all know. Space can't wait for the in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to talk about... Go on, Barney. You talk about Porto at MK Dons and stuff. Yeah, well, I'll come to that. I just wanted oh. well, on that um, on that point, I was interested to, to hear the best player you played against as well. Mm. So the best player I played, the best time I've ever been on the pitch with the, the best player I played against, well, I came on once at Old Trafford for Man U against Arsenal when we won 7-1 when Dwight York scored oh, four. I remember that, yeah. But I was actually on the pitch mm. at the same time as Thierry Henry. So he was... Mm. I weren't playing obviously directly against me, mm. not directly against him, but he would be the the best player I've ever been on the pitch with playing against. Yeah, interesting. Go on, Matt. Um, no, we're just talking about MK Dons and Cambridge, obviously, Luke. They're two clubs, obviously, you know, you played, was it, I think, almost 250 times or around for MK Dons, obviously, a incredibly huge part of your career and obviously Cambridge, a club that is obviously very, very close to your heart. We're talking about clubs like that at the moment, how important do you think it is, you know, safely, obviously, but to get fans back in, you know, the financial impact of this coronavirus outbreak and, and what's going on at the moment and for the lower league clubs, I mean, MK Dons, League One, Cambridge League Two at the moment, isn't it? So how, how important do you think it is to safely get fans back for those clubs? Well, it's essential for the survival of them football clubs if obviously I think there's going to be help given and rightly so because that is where the revenue comes from if Cambridge United don't get fans in the stadium how do they pay their players etc how do they pay their staff so it they have to get them back in or obviously safely it can't be against any sort of safety measures but support has to come from the government the Premier League I read earlier today that I believe that there is going to be some sort of payment made and if it doesn't come the clubs will just simply go out of business so support needs to be given and as soon as humanly possible fans need to get back in the games my eldest son is on loan from he played for Cambridge United was on loan at a a semi-pro club where I go and watch him play and they're allowed 400 fans in there which 
it does make you wonder mm. how all these rules are set and how set up, I believe the rules on the FA Cup are ludicrous, yeah. really, where yeah. you're not allowed away fans in some, but no fans at others. So, it, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate how hard it is for the governing bodies. This is a, a situation that no one could imagine was going to be happening. And it's not easy for them to work out these rules, but something needs to be done to make it fair for for every single club in the in the football pyramid. Otherwise, talk about League One, League Two, you look at underneath that, what's going to happen there. So it's um it's a horrible situation and I hope and pray that we, we get through it soon and we get fans back in football games and it, in a safe way. You mentioned the 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 importance for the lower league clubs, but also for the Premier League clubs to keep those lower league clubs, you know, in business and in existence. Because at MK Dons, I think you played there at the same time as Deli Ali, didn't you? And obviously, he's one of the huge success stories of moving up from the EFL to the Premier League, and then even lower down, obviously Jamie Vardy's story is very well known now, coming up from non-league. The amount of those sorts of players you'd lose if these big clubs from the EFL and below go out of business. It's really important to the Premier League to keep them in business as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's imperative because, like you mentioned, Delhi there, we came through. There, there's loads of these, even younger than that, that go on to play Premier League football and go to these to the big clubs earlier. The lower league clubs, League One, League Two, are picking players out of the Conference North, Conference South. It, it's a, a domino effect. All these teams have to, well, it's easy to say have to, but it'd be such a sad, sad loss if we lost any club throughout the, the football pyramid because support weren't given. I completely appreciate the Premier League are losing a hell of a lot of money at the moment already, but they're still signing players for 75, mm. 80 million pounds where could that money be used sensibly? Could that, a pot be put together to, to help the lower league clubs to get through this, these really challenging times? I think we, we, we spoke to um, David Lee, didn't we, Adrian, uh, recently, Luke, and he was saying, I can't remember the exact number, Barney, but, but talking to the Portsmouth, wasn't it? And he was talking about the amount of money, the gate receipts or something, their budget is mm. down. Was it as much as 60% or something like that with the lack of fans? And you think of teams like Portsmouth, I mean, they're ex-Premier League club, and to, to have that amount of you know, revenue down with not having the fans in is, is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, obviously the furlough scheme would have helped all these clubs get to now, but obviously we're at a point now, just starting October, where that's getting cut down and we'll be gone by the end of the month. And that's that's when the problems are going to hit, is when that happens. So the clubs need to get money in the bank somehow to pay the players, to play the staff. And just to bring it full circle as well, again, moving it back to Manchester United, does that sort of maybe explain a bit why they've been a bit coy in the transfer market so far because they don't know when um, fans are coming back in and obviously as you mentioned they're losing huge amounts of money as well the big clubs are losing massive massive sums of money aren't they so maybe Ed Woodward is being sensible rather than you know just being a bit bad at his job and actually holding back with the big money and not splashing 109 million on Sancho. Yeah but potentially obviously that's been put out in the press but I believe they've offered the full 120 million for him yeah. the other day so it does make you wonder if he is being sensible or if he's trying to save a few quid somehow but like the, the business side of it goes over my head to a certain extent what what I want to see is United sign players but more probably obviously more than I want to see United save by players I want to see every club in the football league and below saved by that 120 million that could potentially sign Jaden Sanchez. I'm not saying it's 
Manchester United's responsibility to do that. Mm. But as a collective, I think the Premier League have got some responsibility to look after those clubs below them. Yeah, I think it's, it's even like things, isn't it, at the moment, there was a speak of Arsenal, you know, making a lot of redundancies and then within the next couple of weeks, you know, announcing a new contract from Aubameyang, you know, their highest highest paid player, which is obviously another issue that we won't go into now. But if I could put you on the spot, Luke, and say, you know, for argument's sake, United were to sign Sancho and a left-back, not a centre-back, just Sancho and a left-back, could you give me your top four? Who do you th- would you think United would be in the top four? Do you think it would be second, third? I mean, if, if that happened? I think, I think they'd be in the top four. I think they've, they've got a chance of getting in the top four if they didn't sign anyone. Mm. Just how the league is, I think the whole situation, like no one looks as sort of coming apart from Liverpool who look like they're going to run away with it again. But mm. none of the other top clubs look incredible. Chelsea have spent a lot of money, but were probably deceived to flatter a little bit in their performances. Man City were had a really, really poor performance. They, they looked worse than United have on, on Sunday in the game. So I, th- I think it'll be, the top two will be the same, Liverpool and City. And then I think it, United could easily get third place again as they did last year. But I don't, I don't know if third place is enough of what Manchester United want to achieve. How far do you think they are away from closing that gap to City and Liverpool especially? Well, when I was watching, when lockdown was ended last season, the, the teams came back to play. I thought United looked like the best team in the Premier League for a period of mm. three, four weeks, where in my head I'm thinking they could easily compete. And they've added to that with Van der Beek. Obviously, this season started and it seems to have gone back to the norm to a certain extent where it looks quite flat. There's no real um, bite about them in or out of possession, which makes me think they're not at that level. But I'd I do believe with a couple of signings, they could compete. Liverpool just look head and shoulders above everyone else, even at the start of this season. So it, obviously it's going to, I think it's as open it's been for a while for the, from second onwards, because I think the whole situation, no crowds in the, in the stadium does spring up strange results from time to time. So it'll be interesting how the season starts. I think Ollie's mentioned a fair few times that he sees them as maybe two, three weeks behind everyone else because of the, the pre-season, obviously playing late into the summer with the, the European competition. So I think it's probably right and fair to judge them when they get up to speed. But the Premier League's an unforgiving space, place where you don't really get four or five weeks to get your players up to speed because the way that Liverpool collect points, uh, you could be out of the hunt by then. I think obviously the game, I will mention that Barney's a Liverpool fan and we have a bit of a, you know, it's not not good times because he obviously they're, they're running away with it at the moment. But obviously a big game for United this weekend. It looks like um, Son might be out for Tottenham and obviously no bow at the moment. If I could put you on the spot and give us a score prediction for the Tottenham game, that'd be good. I think it's going to be 1-1. I can't see a winner coming from it. I see um, Spurs, I think, I mean, I'm sure we've all watched the, the Jose documentary and I'm sure that he'll get him wound up to anything going back to his former club and he's going to go, want to go and get a result. And I think it'll be a, a really tight game, but I fancy 1-1 and I fancy Kane to, to score for Spurs. I'd also be interested to get your take on Mason Green because my, my, uh, Matt and I were talking about him yesterday and as Matt just said, I'm a Liverpool fan and I grew up watching Fowler's Hot 100, his first 100 goals for Liverpool. And some of the finishes in that were incredible. And Greenwood, as much as I hate to say it, sort of reminds me a bit of a young fowler, the way he can just score from either foot, from anywhere, always gets a shot on target with a lot of power. It just looks like a natural finisher, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm, I've not really seen 
anything like it into for years and years for what what he can do. We got um, I've done a couple of games for MUTV, so my missus bought it so I can watch it at home, watch myself on telly. <laughs> they had a they had a load they had um, Mason Greenwood's goals when he was playing in the under 18s, under 23s, and it was like wow, the like I've, he's so comfortable on both feet, which obviously mm. makes it a a living hell for defenders because they don't know which way he's going to go, and he's got that uncanny knack like Robbie Fowler like Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer where they get their shot off so early and it goes through defenders legs and the, the keeper's mm. completely unsighted and to finish it that well at that age like you say I can't remember anyone since Robbie Fowler that that can do that has been able to do that at that sort of age do you think he'll do you think he'll go to centre forward at some point Luke obviously he's playing wide at the moment obviously still a very young man and Bonnie was speaking about United's options in the final third. Obviously, Agarlo's still there till January when his loan runs out. Martial, fantastic last year, but a little bit, maybe a little bit cold this season. Not not quite hit his form. Do you think Greenwood will eventually go to the middle? Um, I think the game the game's changed a lot. Where you sort of uh, most teams play with a seven, nine, eleven, and they sort of yeah. interchange a lot. I wouldn't say there's that many specific nines. You'll see Martial drift out to left, and he's quite comfortable playing in that eleven position. Rashford will come in or Rashford will come to the right. and green. I think he's got a lot of freedom playing in that sort of 4-2-3-1 where he can go and collect balls inside. And I think it's, it's quite suited to him playing in them wide areas, the way that he likes to shift the ball both ways and, and get shots off. I'm, I'm sure he will spend time in the nine, but I don't think... Like, you think about Harry Kane, Aguero, that, that sort of play that are number nines. I think the majority of other forward players in the league are sort of quite comfortable playing along that front three and getting in different areas and making it harder for defenders to pick up and mark. Yeah, Luke, I think we could talk to you all day, but unfortunately, I think we're out of time now. Uh, but it's been fantastic chatting to you. Thanks so much for coming on. No, it's been a pleasure. Enjoyed talking to you both. Cheers. Thank you, Luke. Um, yes, yeah, so you can subscribe to this podcast, remember, on all the usual channels and on YouTube now. So please be sure to do that. Matt and I will be back with our weekly score predictions. We've heard Luke's one all for Man United versus Tottenham. Uh, Matt and I will continue our prediction. We'll be back with that tomorrow. So please be sure to tune in for that. Um, And until then, thanks for joining us again. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.